And we're live. Okay, welcome back to the future of. I'm your host, Jonathan Narvi, and I am very happy to have uh, our next guest with us, Eric Daimler. And uh, so we're going to be talking about the future of AI and the data pandemic. And uh, Eric is the perfect person to talk about this. I'm going to just give a brief synopsis and then let Eric fill you in on in exactly why he is the exact person who should be talking about these things. Uh, number one, Eric is the CEO and co-founder of Connexus.com. Uh, he's an investor, he's a policy advisor, a keynote speaker, he's author of The Future is Formal, How the Best and Worst of AI is Yet to Come. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're also a former member of the Obama administration. Uh, you, you come with uh, quite the resume, Eric. So uh, maybe uh, you can talk a little bit about more about your background and, and uh, you know, your, what makes you the expert in this space. Well, it's good to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, terrific to be uh, speaking to the audience and, and about this uh, important issue, which is uh, getting people involved in the discussion uh, around the uh, future of, we'll say, information technology. Uh, for me, I'm just really grateful that I, uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, have, have spent 20 plus years in different aspects of artificial intelligence uh, in automation from being an academic researcher to being a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road uh, to being an entrepreneur. Uh, and then of course, uh, people often know me from having spent time in the Obama White House uh, as an authority uh, on AI during the last year of its administration. So I, I've seen it from uh, a lot of different angles. I, I may be uh, uh, unique, if not rare uh, in, in that, uh, uh, or at least rare in, in that uh, combination. Uh, of experiences around this technology. Mm. Well, uh, this is fantastic. And um, I am, I, I recently came across an article of yours, uh, the data pandemic, how the COVID-19 crisis exposed a critical weakness in the nation's data handling. And I thought this was, uh, it was such a great sort of nexus of uh, a number of the, the issues that you like to talk about, but obviously in the context of something that's very timely on everyone's minds, uh, the uh, hopefully soon to be ending COVID pandemic. But, uh, you know, let, let's, let's first, before we get into um, what you go into depth in in the article, uh, let's lay down some definitions. So, um, you, you talk often about, uh, you know, the, the issues of data integration, the data deluge. Um, what, what are we talking about? What is, what is the, the problem that we're seeing with uh, IT systems integration data that uh, everyone should know a bit more about? Yeah, uh, it, it, thanks for that. It, it's a good place to, to set out some uh, nomenclature. Uh, when people talk about artificial intelligence, I still see people going in and out of, uh, of how they define it. The traditional way of, of looking at it is as a, a, a set of algorithms. It's in you know, computer code. Uh, and, and if you wanted to get more specific, you could say that machine learning, which is a term that you'd often uh, hear about, is actually a subset 
of machine uh, of artificial intelligence. So machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence. Deep learning, uh, also something that you'll read about in the popular press, is a subset of machine learning. That level of specificity, however, isn't terribly useful to the 99% of people or more or fewer that, that are not researchers. Uh, to, you know, to, to be uh, you know, hyper pedantic and, and you know, talk about non-machine learning artificial intelligence is, 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 a, is true, uh, but not necessarily helpful. What I find to be more helpful to have people engage in uh, the, the thinking around the implementations uh, around putting uh, AI into the real world is to think about AI uh, as a system, as a as the total system that includes those learning algorithms. So we can think of uh, uh, sensing, collecting data, and, that, and the collecting data can be coming from anywhere. It could be coming from the 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 the, the laser detector on the top of my car that for for automatic cruise control. It could become from the air sensor uh, that I have in my house to detect air quality. Those are sensors, those are collecting data. After the data is collected, that's sense, the data is, it goes through a network and uh, all the infrastructure of telecommunications to the processor to think, to plan. That's often where traditional AI uh, rests. That is an important Thing to think about, but it's just really uh, one part before the outcome then uh, it, it turns into action, what actually happens. So in a real world scenario, we might have an automated car coming up on a crosswalk, collecting data around the world and determining if what it sees in front of it is a crosswalk or is it a shadow? Is the, is, is the, the additional object of person, or is that a shadow or, or some uh, uh, unusual array of light? Then, it, then that goes into the, the, through the network into computation, traditional AI, the planning, but that action needs to be determined. That may be separate actually from the sensing, certainly, from the network, certainly, from the planning, that's separate. So what happens? Do what, what, what degree of confidence did humans put into the system to, to, to tell the car, should it slow down? Should it change lanes? Should it come to a complete stop because the consequence of error is so great? That's an action. And then that whole system then learns from its experience. Since plan act, learn from its experience. That's what I think is more useful definition of AI for your listeners, for those uh, consuming uh, this conversation. Since plan and act and learn from experience. When you have that whole system, that gives you a place to grab onto in, in thinking, where can I get involved? Even if I don't work as a computer programmer in my day-to-day -day job, what do I care about? Well, I certainly care about cars stopping at crosswalks. So that gives me a place to have a conversation with the computer programmers that are encoding this automated system into our daily lives since planet X. So this is a great sort of a theoretical basis for the, the ensuing conversation. Um, I wanna get into 
a, um, well, that was a very practical example, but also uh, I, I want to get into the timely newsy aspect of the article that you wrote. So I'm just going to, I'm going to quote you. Um, and uh, so maybe you can talk about, you know, again, how data integration and uh, integration of, a, of IT systems, perhaps AI, uh, are, um, you know, how these things may be rolling out a little bit less effectively than we'd like. Um, so I'll just begin. Data collection and handling both, sorry, I should actually back up a bit. Um, while the COVID-19 pandemic itself may be unprecedented, America's poor national response to it shares some of the same root causes as previous public health care failures, including the disappointing initial rollout of the Affordable Care Act. Both cases involve the need for massive amounts of heterogeneous data to be shared by many IT systems. Um, in the case of the novel, novel uh, coronavirus, reliable data was needed to track COVID-19 prevalence, among other factors. And um, in, in, so in the cases we saw, the initial data's quality and handling were largely ignored, leading to critical problems later on. Can you break that down for us? Where is the system breaking down in terms of data, data integration, um, and, and what, is, what are the solutions that you see to this? Sure. So what I discovered in working with artificial intelligence in the Obama administration in the White House was that a lot of energy was spent on the learning algorithms themselves. In some cases, justifiably so, because uh, in the case of the protein folding coming out of DeepMind, that's magical, uh, and the implications are, are large. But we need not overly uh, 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 exaggerate the applications of that technology to every other part of our lives. That required a massive amount of data in a particular structure in order to solve the problem. And deep learning that is used by DeepMind is really well suited uh, to that particular problem with that particular data set. For much of the rest of us, we have different sort of problems. I came to realize the, the and that problem is bringing the data to bear, just finding the right data and then integrating it, you know, just making it one cohesive whole. So you can imagine in your daily life, you've, you've used Microsoft Excel or some similar uh, worksheet, Google Sheets or something. And in those spreadsheets, you can work with uh, a, a few dozen, maybe a few hundred, maybe a few thousand columns. If you then started to work with different sort of worksheets and you said, well, you know, I'd really love to do some analysis across these multiple Excel files, then that becomes to become a, a little more complicated. If you then multiply that by the rate of data growth we have today, where it becomes millions of Excel spreadsheets, or really at the rate of growth, maybe billions or even trillions of these spreadsheets, it really becomes meaningless to talk about any one particular spreadsheet. You're going to have to talk about it at a completely different level. And bringing all those together into one cohesive whole upon which to do analysis then becomes itself an abstraction and a job. Right. This is increasingly the impairment behind 
almost every business problem and almost every public policy issue. Right. So just sort of closing the loop on, on the question and your answer, which you, you've laid, the, laid out the context specifically to do with, um, you know, dealing with whether it's this pandemic or we know there's going to be future pandemics. There's going to be future national crises. Um, you know, where do you see uh, this integration of data, different data sets into a single cohesive system? Um, you know, from a practical standpoint, um, you know, what do you what solutions get you excited, and and where do you see maybe danger ahead? You know, there are a lot of companies that are beginning to recognize that they are falling behind uh, relative to data growth. Uh, we, you know, we're working with a very large uh, Swiss uh, financial services company, which for seven years has found uh, and struggled and failed to bring their information technology infrastructure up to the level it needs to be to fulfill on their business goals. They cannot write contracts really and interpret mm -hmm. contracts uh, fast enough to fulfill on their business growth ambitions. So that's actually the problem. How this manifests itself in things like the, the COVID-19 vaccine response and the COVID-19 vaccine distribution is, is in these uh, uh, really strange uh, uh, ways in which humans will tend to uh, interpret data differently. So in examples, we worked with a very large uh, medical uh, supplier hospital system in the United States that quite literally had across its own system, not even different hospitals, different interpretations for diabetes. And you might say, well, that sounds really weird. They, these are physicians, they can say diabetes. The, the issue is if you if you put it, again, go, again going back to your Excel, Excel file, spreadsheet, whatever, you say a patient has diabetes. One group, for their purpose, uh, purposely good reasons, might say uh, diabetes, yes and yes or no. Another might say, well, diabetes, how much, how badly? What are the measurements? Another might say, well, diabetes, how are we treating it? Those are different ways, we'll say, of treating diabetes. You can't just bring those all together into one column that says diabetes. And if you had those in three columns, uh, then, then that's a different type of data that needs to be analyzed. I'm giving you the, 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 the very um, fine details of how this data gets messed up. And when this gets multiplied across not just one hospital system, but multiple hospital systems across a whole province or a whole country, let alone the whole globe, and then you map onto that privacy concerns, you have an increasing problem. I've come to believe that the only solution to this is more fundamental than computer science. It's actually in a level of mathematics. There is a branch of mathematics, and I know this mathematics can freak people out and, 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 and give people flashbacks to high school. <laughs> but you know, that mathematics is, the, is it, more, more fundamental than computer science, and that's where this problem needs to get solved. There's a branch of mathematics called categorical math, category theory, and that categorical math is really the place at which this problem gets solved, and it gets solved through creating some formal rules, we'll say, a formal way of, 
of designating how you interact with data. I could say more about that, but that's that's the problem and that's the solution. Sure, sure. Well, that, that I think that covers that adequate, adequately. Um, I, I actually also want to delve into more of a big picture around uh, growth of AI and uh, well, our technological society and and uh, you know increasing um, interconnectedness, increasing convenience. These are all good things that come up, come with um, you know the the technological advances we've seen, including AI. Um, if now I I'm not sure if you covered this in the article or if I I captured this uh, elsewhere, but it, it seemed like. Um, you know, you, you generally see uh, AI and, well, machine learning um, as a, uh, am I, is it fair to say you're, you're a booster of it in, in the sense of, um, you know, uh, warnings over uh, automate, automation effectively, um, you know, killing jobs are, um, you know, as we've seen in the past technology Tends to create more jobs than than uh, it than it destroys. Um, is, is is that a, is that a fair assessment of, of what you've said? I think there are arguments in a in a um, uh, to be had around jobs that I'll about whether it creates more jobs than it destroys or whether it's neutral. Mm -hmm. I I think that you and I uh, just sitting here having this conversation enjoy a better uh, life, we'll say, certainly a better mm -hmm. lifestyle mm -hmm. uh, uh, than our grandparents or our great-grandparents who will have tended to have worked on a farm or in a manufacturing facility mm -hmm. because of increases in productivity. That's what grow, that's what, that, that, that's what generally has lifted humanity out of poverty, generally mm -hmm. what has uh, increase the, the life expectancy and the lifestyle of, uh, of all of us living in, in Western society. So increases in productivity. Increases in productivity can come rapidly through uh, these uh, digital technologies, including artificial intelligence. What's different, what's changed, is not job losses or job disruption. What's changed and what is really worth addressing in some uh, really uh, uh, serious way as a conversation um, in society, in civil society, is the abruptness with which these jobs change. Once a digital technology works, that change is rapid. Uh, 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 so we no longer have a generation that can live out their life as a, uh, an elevator operator and then retire, or a telephone, a switchboard operator, and then retire, or a typist. Remember, we have those. You know, some of those jobs have gone away uh, without anybody shedding a tear. You know, bond traders might be one of them. Stock market floor traders might be another. Those don't really exist uh, anymore. You know, the floor of the New York Stock Exchange is mostly a tourist attraction now. It's not really any longer for trading stocks, but nobody really cries about the loss of those jobs. What changes is once those technology, the digital technologies have worked, those jobs go very, very quickly. And that can be terribly disruptive. And I think as a society, we would benefit by acknowledging that uh, disruption 
and finding ways that are appropriate for us to uh, address it. But the improvement to our lives uh, from automation is really difficult to underestimate. We experience it right now uh, by uh, being able to survive, many of us, uh, during, during this, this lockdown during, uh, during COVID. Automation has served to keep much of our economy uh, working. Uh, and there's a lot of lives to be saved uh, from uh, deployment of automation. We see this in our cars uh, right now. These are, this isn't artificial intelligence in the way that many people think about it, but there's certainly automation technologies in traction control, automatic braking systems, in uh, automatic cruise control that's guided by radar. We benefit uh, from these technologies in many, many ways. Uh, uh, and, and so I want, I want people to engage in the conversation about how to embrace these technologies when appropriate and how to uh, uh, measure their deployment when appropriate. Um, if you were in charge, okay, let's say you're um, back in, you're not in the Obama administration, that's history, but uh, you're, you're in the Biden administration and you are uh, either in, you know, something akin to your, your, your previous role as advisor on AI and maybe add in the automation aspect of it. What would you see uh, as number one, uh, is there anything government can do or should be doing or should they just be getting out of the way of, uh, in, of ensuring that these changes, uh, obviously the, the huge benefits that come from automation, but you, know, you have noted you know, there are some areas where we need to proceed maybe with, with more care, with more thought. Um, if, if you were part of, that, part of the current administration if you were, or if you were president, what would you want to see happening on the ground in, in uh, and I, I get that this is a, a fairly broad question, so answer it as you like, but you know, in terms of AI automation, the changes that you see happening, uh, maybe what, what do you see as, what would be maybe some good policies or again, maybe they just, maybe just stay out of it. What would your answer be? Yeah, I, I will take that last part uh, first about government being involved or not being involved. I don't think this is one of those uh, right-left arguments about uh, regulation or non-regulation. Uh, I, I think really there's different arguments to be made. And I, I actually wrote a different article about this, kind of an open letter to the, the president about what I, I uh, might suggest were I to be in this, uh, uh, in that role again. I'm happy to say that the President Biden has elevated uh, the, the, the group with which I work into a cabinet level job. It's officially a science advisory group uh, to the president, but characteristically, I guess, of him. Uh, uh, so it, it has even more visibility in the Biden administration than the ample visibility it had uh, during the Obama administration. And that my guidance really applies to uh, Canada on all Western governments uh, as much as it applies to the United States. I, I, I might take uh, among my recommendations this one first. You need not be a computer programmer to be involved with technology. That uh, there are many, many ways in which to be engaged in the, uh, the automation technology society, the, the, the technology infrastructure of a company uh, without being a computer programmer. 
you know, I work in a particularly uh, 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 interesting uh, field of, of technology. And I have found that uh, uh, Amazon is uh, opening new jobs in this field called uh, ontology. So it's not ontology in the philosophical sense of uh, uh, the nature of being. It's actually ontology in the definition of terms, in a formal definition uh, of, of a lexicon. This has huge implications in life sciences, and that's traditionally where you'll find these jobs. But this is now getting to be a need at, a, at an Amazon. It is, it is necessary because Amazon is so large and has acquired so much knowledge that it actually needs to hire a team of people just to formalize the capturing of that knowledge. It's really crazy. And so as other jobs you might say are automated away, uh, you know, their warehouses employ fewer people than they might have needed 50 years ago. That's why it works. They now have 12, as far as, I, as, as we've been able to count, 12 ontologists, and they have 12 more job openings for ontologists in 2021. Those numbers sound small, but, but it's at a job that really didn't exist uh, five years ago. Uh, and other companies are also hiring for ontologists. This gets to my point that these, point, these people aren't computer programmers, but they're working in a very sophisticated part of our uh, uh, you know, employment infrastructure. This is going to be a global need, and it's going to be an increasing need. And it's an example about how people can find their own place outside of just the, the nerdy existence uh, that, that really defined my upbringing. Absolutely. Well, um, that, that's terrific. And, and you know, I, I know we haven't met before, but, uh, you know, I am, of course, a, a big booster of technology. I'm not a technologist, uh, a maker of technology myself, but uh, I'm, I, I like to be in this circle. Uh, and uh, so I, I often work with people who are on the frontiers of technology. So it has been, uh, again, a wonderful conversation uh, talking with you about uh, AI and, and data integration. And uh, before I let you go, you've been very generous with your time, Eric. Um, I was wondering if, you know, uh, maybe a quick plug for Conexus. Um, maybe you could talk uh, just briefly about uh, what you're excited about that you're developing there. You know, so what we are about is data integration. So we are, we'll say, upstream from AI. We have a mm -hmm. lot of uh, a very large uh, clients, companies you would you would have heard of in uh, in a range of field uh, from logistics to uh, life sciences that have very very large data concerns uh, that need to be uh, brought together in order to be doing better predictive analytics. Do we be doing uh, their AI uh, when you when you're thinking of complicated data sets? Uh, with generally legacy databases, uh, that's uh, where our company gets to be um, uh, gets to be called. We are uh, to have MIT call it. Um, uh, in the existence of MIT, we are the first spin out ever from their math department. Hmm. Trivia, fun fact. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so if uh, my audience wanted to learn a bit more about Conexus and actually yourself, your own profile, how would they find you? I am uh, uh, Eric Daimler at LinkedIn. Conexus.com obviously is a good place to uh, 
a good place to go. And then you know, Twitter, I'm uh, EAD, my initials. And uh, uh, yeah, Facebook, I think I'm Eric Daimler. Instagram, Eric Daimler. Any other usual place. Uh, that's terrific. I, I've noticed you're, you're a very prolific guy, Eric. So you're on all these platforms and you're also CEO. And you, again, the extensive resume. I don't know where you find the time, but I, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on The Future Of. Uh, today, we've been talking about the future of AI and the data pandemic. Uh, thank you very much, Eric. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. And to my audience, I will see you in the future.